I was a heli, and I had this yellow motorcycle, and I'd go over there to visit Geneva. And, yeah. And uh, what what kind of motorcycle was it? It was a Harley. Yeah. At one seventy four. Welcome back to a very special episode of Meet the Ministers. I have, as always, with me, Alec Robison. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. Alec has been slightly under the weather, but he is trying to be strong. I'm, I'm doing my best, but it's a special episode today, so I had to be here. Yep, and the reason it's a special episode is because we have Papa Don with us. He was baptized in 1949 in the summertime during a gospel meeting. He became a deacon in 1960 in Grand Junction Church of Christ over benevolence. And in 1979, he became an elder and served for 24 years for the Montrose congregation. Papa still preaches from time to time, and he is at the young age of 90. Papa, we are so happy that you're taking your time to talk to us today. Well, I'm glad you're able, I'm glad I'm able to talk with you. (laughs) Yeah, so are we. We are so happy at my age. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive right on into this. So, how were you raised, and where? Well, actually, I was born in uh, West Texas, up towards, uh, oh, uh, north of Wellington, Texas, is a, was a little place called Lasbuddy. And uh, Tina knows where Lasbuddy is, by the way, Alec. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was interesting, I thought. Anyway, it's, not, it's just a bunch of foundations now, but... My grandfather had homesteaded down there, so mom was raised in that vicinity. And when uh, her and dad were married, I think dad worked with uh, grandpa for a time on his farm uh, before they decided. I know Robbie Kay uh, was two years older than me. So by the time I was about a year old, Mom and Dad decided that they would uh, move to Colorado because uh, some of uh, Mom's nephews were kind of wild, and she always said, well, I don't want him raised around those wild. (laughs) She probably used the word hellion. (laughs) I don't know that. Yeah. Thank you, Mom. But (laughs) anyway, uh, as we... uh, Moved to Colorado, uh, I was only a year old. That would make it, what, uh, 32, about. And the Depression was over, but still everything was pretty well depressed, and jobs were hard to uh, really come by. Do you want to hear the stories uh, of Dad's early time in uh, Grand Junction during that? For sure, yeah. Yeah. Times were so hard even yet that uh, Dad had a hard time, you know, making a living. Mm-hmm. And I remember the one story where he uh, he uh, worked for this guy to gather his corn crop. 
And uh, the guy didn't have any money to pay him, so he paid him with a load of corn. And Dad had to go and sell the corn in order to buy a sack of beans. Uh, I don't know how big a sack of beans, uh, pinto beans, you know. And he carried those on his back probably pretty close to 12 miles from Grand Junction up the Little Park Road and clear across to where the Balance Rock is. There was a tar paper shack that we were... We were squatters. Yeah, <laughs> I take it. Yeah, that's all right. So, so times were hard. Uh, times were really hard. Yeah. yeah, but Dad was pretty tough, evidently, to have done that. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you then, think- uh, as they were building the Colorado National Monument Road, uh, Dad got a job through the CCCs to be a civilian cook to cook for the people that were building the road. Okay. And uh, so he had a hand in that. And if if you ever go through that museum that's down on the Fruta end, there's a picture of Dad down there in his cook stuff, you know, with these other cooks and yeah. <laughs> individuals. Wow. And for a time, they had the wrong name with Dad. Okay. But I think they're supposed to have straightened that out by now, I hope. I know that upset my mother a lot when she saw that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you were in Grand Junction at the time? We were in Grand Junction, Grand yeah. Junction. And that's where you did most of your growing up? Yeah, most of my growing up was there. I went to school there all my life, I guess, there. Uh, 1936, we went back to Texas. Uh, Dad's brother... Uh, who, by the way, was became one of the elders of the church there at Cross Plains, Texas. Uh, so we've had roots in the in the Church of Christ for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he would end a little restaurant there and wanted Dad to come down and cook for him. So, so 1937, uh, we were down there. Uh, I know somewhere in my pictures i have a picture of myself standing in front of that restaurant (laughs) yeah and so for about a year dad did cook for uh uh uncle bud actually his name was riley Uh uh-huh yeah and uh so dad uh had some experience you know at the cccs plus he cooked down there in that restaurant yeah and uh then in, uh, after the war started in 1941, it would be, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1941, uh, we went out to California in the uh, San Diego area, Seal Beach area. Dad thought he would get a job uh, in the shipyards, you know, because of uh, the war effort. But nobody would rent him a place to live because he had children. Mm-hmm. Discrimination. <laughs> yeah. Was it just because he had children or is because he had you as a child? Well, I I don't think they knew anything about me at the time, but I, <laughs> I might have played a bigger part of that. Because <laughs> I've heard some stories about you growing up. <laughs> uh, oh, don't believe everything you hear. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it from you. Yeah, you told us. <laughs> uh, it depends on who's telling the story, right? Yeah. So... 
didn't work out in California then, huh? Well, you know, I had come down with rheumatic fever. And uh, the doctor said, well, you know, it might be a good thing if you moved out to the coast, you know, where the salt air is, and and I might do better health-wise, you know. But then Dad couldn't get a job. Well, he could get a job all right, but no place to live. Yeah. And so uh, Dad actually asked me where I wanted to go. Why do you think that was? And, you know, I had remembered being in Grand Junction, so I said, I'd like to go back to Grand Junction. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So we did. Been there ever since. And been in Colorado ever since. I did try to go to college at Abilene, uh, but that was only just a short time. And that's another story. (laughs) Yeah. So with the rheumatic fever, you weren't expected to live very long, right? Well, they told me I wouldn't probably live probably longer than about 18, you know. Okay. Uh, But I fooled them. Yeah, you got them good. (laughs) You got them good. In fact, one time we went down there to visit my grandparents, and uh, I remember Dr. Gregoire had lived across the street from them. And, uh, but he had his office in the, in the drugstore downtown, you know, so I went in there and, uh, this guy that I thought was Dr. Gregoire cause he was old and, you know, and so I thought I was talking to Dr. Gregoire, but I was actually talking to the pharmacist and I said, so you thought I wasn't going to live very long, didn't you? <laughs> He's like, wrong guy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The mistakes that you make in life, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Uh, But he took it well. He told me that he was not Dr. Gregoire. (laughs) (laughs) That old Dr. Gregoire had passed away. So Uh, anyway. Yep, so that's your your child. You came back to Grand Junction at that point. How old were you when you came back? Well, we were just visiting down there at that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how old was I back then? Man, I don't remember. You know, some of the dates are terrible in my mind. Anyway, I don't remember for sure. Okay. Uh, at my age, I have a right to not remember, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you sure do. All right. So now we're getting closer to your, your baptism, right? Right after we came back to yeah. uh, to Colorado from that vacation, uh, I think it's when I was baptized. Yeah, and that probably that same summer ninety was what did we say about nineteen forty nine. Yep, yep, roughly. Yeah, I remember Dad had won this nineteen forty nine Buick Roadmaster with a one dollar ticket, so he used up all the luck of the ship clan. <laughs> <laughs> So, what convicted you to be baptized in 1949? Well, Doctor, uh, uh, the preacher uh, Rural Lemons was holding this gospel meeting, and he was talking about, you know, like like you do, talking about sin. You're supposed to convict people of sin that they need a savior, and so I was pretty well convinced that I was a sinner. And, of course, I did a lot of ornery stuff, as you've heard the stories. Don't believe them, of course. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, 
Yeah, I took that to heart, and I uh, was baptized, and uh, I made that good confession before the congregation there. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, you know. And without him, I would be nothing. So um, I was baptized there at that old building in, on 7th and Teller in uh, Grand Junction. There's an apartment building there now, but <laughs> uh, yeah, long time. Yeah. So when does Geneva come into the picture? Well, when I first met her, I was coming up to uh, to uh, Olathe uh, every once in a while, and especially, uh, I think probably Garland Hunter would come up and preach, you know, quite a lot, and uh, and I'd come up and lead singing. And uh, they had a gospel meeting. Some guy from, uh, from Oklahoma was holding the meeting, but I came up and led singing during that meeting. And, and uh, Geneva's mother, Ola Young, uh, treated me like you would treat preachers, you know. She took me out to her place on Sunday afternoon and <laughs> yep. fed me fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose preachers eat a lot of fried yep. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they, Alex? They do. <laughs> <That's> a staple. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, she was still in, in school. And uh, Tiny, uh, my brother... His name is really Harley. Uh, he came up with me, and uh, we uh, took uh, Agnes and her sister, Geneva, and Agnes, her sister, uh, out for a little drive after Grandma Young had fed us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's when I first got acquainted with uh, with her. Yeah. And uh, after... Uh, she graduated from high school. She went out to California but couldn't find a job. Her sister lived out there, and uh, her older sister. And uh, so she came back, and uh, somebody told her, well, it was probably Ola because her mother, Ola, because uh, she said, those young ship boys don't have any girlfriends, you know, and they're down there yeah. <laughs> in Grand Junction. <laughs> So she wanted Agnes to, well, uh, Geneva and uh, her cousin, LaVon, came down to Grand Junction and lived together in an apartment building. And uh, uh, Deward Lee's mother-in-law lived upstairs. And, of course, I was a hellion. I had this yellow motorcycle, and I'd go over there to visit Geneva. And, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> What, what kind of motorcycle was it? It was a Harley. Yeah. Uh, 174. Anyway, uh, uh, Deward's mother-in-law, Granny Hines, she thought I was a, a thug because <laughs> <laughs> I was a motorcycle. So she would always lay the law down to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's a, a jewel. I loved her. Yeah. What would she say to you? Well... She said, well, you behave yourself, you know. (laughs) I knew what you meant. (laughs) Yeah, you motorcycle riding. Yeah, you you... motorcycle thug. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, I had a motorcycle cap. That's before they had to have helmets, you know. So I just had a white bibbed hat. 
Yeah. You were in leather jacket, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. Or are you confusing the medical community because you weren't supposed to be around, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And here you are flying around on a yellow Harley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had that one until after Geneva and I were married. And, uh, and of course, the bills needed to be paid, you know, so I sold that in order to pay a bunch of bills. We were living in this little little house, and the rent was not terribly bad, but I was only making $150 a month. Yeah. Because I was in training to learn how to work on office machines, and so they weren't paying me any. The Colorado Rehab had bought my tools, luckily, mm-hmm. but they weren't paying me a salary or anything, and so... The company I worked for was Intermountain Printing, and they were only paid me $150 a month. Okay. And so to pay rent out of that in this little apartment, uh, I think the rent was something like 60 or so bucks, which isn't terribly bad, you know, but still, when you only have 150 <laughs> Yeah. You got to make it, you know, it's, ends meet. You gotta get rid of the. That wasn't a week. That was a month. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's crazy to think about that. The the dollar amounts from then to now. Of course, at that time, Geneva was still working at Cressus. I think. Okay. She worked for Cressus for. I don't know. Probably finished up that year. Then she uh, was pregnant and quit. You know, and then. Brenda was born, mm-hmm. and uh, so life began to change, but then the company began to pay me more salary, which helped. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, helped keep keep the food on the, the table, right? Yeah, you had more mouths to feed now. <laughs> yeah, I had more mouths to feed. <laughs> yeah. So what were you doing for work when you actually had the motorcycle let's go back just a little bit what, what were the jobs you held well i had uh worked in a service station most of my life in fact dad had ran a um, service station for oh several years and i went to work with him on uh 7th and main in grand junction he ran a service station and uh gay johnson had his recap outfit in the back of that building uh, I don't know that you've ever heard of Gay Johnson, but uh, he had a big service station that he built out on North Avenue, which my dad actually designed the gas aisle because he was going to go out there and run that part of the service station for Gay. Uh, but they had a falling out, and I don't know what it was about. Yeah. So you did, like, oil changes and stuff like that on vehicles? or The what? Like your service station, are you doing like oil changes on vehicles or? Yeah, in fact, I worked the gray, the grease rack. Okay. I changed oil and filters and, you know, spark plugs and fan belts and yep. <laughs> radiator hose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once in a while, I worked on tires, of course. I'd, uh, before they had tubeless tires, you know, they had a lot of flats. And so I fixed a lot of uh, inner tubes. In fact, uh, tires, you know, inner tubes was hard to find, and so I could even take a 
cut a bigger tube in two and, and vulcanize it back together to make a smaller inner go. tube. Yeah. <laughs> and I did that some too, so. <laughs> yeah. So you're a, a gearhead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So married now. Brenda is in the picture. Yeah. Right. What are you doing? As you, you mentioned it. What were you doing for work at that point? Well, when Brenda was born, I was already working for Intermountain Printing yeah. as a trainee to work on office machines. And so I probably, my apprenticeship probably lasted uh, oh, probably two years after Brenda was born. Okay. But they were paying me a little more money because I had a little more mouths to feed, like you say. And so... Uh, uh, once my apprenticeship was over, you know, the guy that I was working for, and for some reason I'm not remembering his name, but that probably doesn't matter, uh, but he moved away. And so for a very, very short time, I was, I read that department by myself, but mm-hmm. then they hired this guy out of Illinois named uh, Gene Price. And uh, he came down and uh, was then the manager of that department. He had more experience than I had. But uh, by that time, though, they were paying me even a little more. And so Geneva and I bought a house. Uh, in Grand Junction, right? In Grand Junction, yeah. out there off of North Avenue, 21st Street, not too far from the Veterans Hospital. Uh, this little house uh, was a prefab type house like a lot of the GIs bought after they came back from uh, from the war, mm-hmm. uh, World War II. Yeah. And uh, so that little house wasn't, you know, terribly well built, but it served our purpose uh, for a time. Yeah. And... Uh, I forget the year, but we we decided to buy this bigger house on Uray Avenue, but we kept that little house for, actually, we didn't sell it until we moved up here to Montrose. Yep. So, and you you stepped up into being a, a deacon, right, in the uh, Grand Junction Church of Christ? Right. And was that around that time? Yeah, I, uh, I became a, uh, a deacon, actually, about the time Brenda was born about somewhere about in that vicinity uh there again my mind is old <laughs> that's the but, only thing uh, that's old i mean <laughs> <laughs> we can mute him you just gotta hit this button <laughs> yeah anyway uh yeah i became a uh deacon and i didn't know one thing about being a deacon other than I read about it in the scriptures, you know, when I was supposed to be a servant and do what the elders told me to do. Mm-hmm. Well, they wanted me to be uh, a deacon uh, and work with uh, benevolence. And I didn't know anything about being a benevolent deacon either. Yeah. But I learned a few things. Uh, you know, people try to uh, take advantage of of uh, Christians, of course, and... I remember this one guy called, and he, boy, he was so desperate for he needed help, and he was in this this uh, Skid Row motel, <laughs> hotel actually, and uh, 
so I went down there. I was going to interview him and see if I could help him, you know. But I went to his room, and the door was wide open, and he was laying in there on the bed naked. <laughs> so I left. I didn't even get in touch with him. <laughs> uh, I figured... I figured something's not right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are little things that uh, come up, and you know, people are always wanting. They they tell you, well, you know, I'm traveling and my tires are worn out, and I'm out of money, and I can't buy any gas, you know, because I don't have any money. And uh, uh, well, where are you heading for? Well, we're heading for California. Where are you coming from? Well, we're coming from uh, down in uh, Texas, and uh, what are you doing up here in Colorado then? Yeah, there's a shorter <laughs> distance to get there. There's an easier route out of Texas to California. Yeah. And so, you know, people are always trying to use, and they come up with all these wild, wild stories, you know. But then there are those that are legitimately needing help. You know, they have, they're not abusing the system and mm-hmm. just hard times, you know. And, and there's been... Quite a few of those also, and so. So what? you'd rather help somebody that's unworthy of your help, rather than miss somebody who really is, you know, because it's a judgment call either way. You know, even if it's the guy down the street. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So what? What do you think led you to be willing to step up into? that service what called you to do that when when we were in uh first in uh, montrose we were been here a year or two you know and uh uh the church had uh, men's business meetings you know and so the men would decide what we were going to do whether we were going to hire a preacher whether we were going to help somebody you know the men business meeting carried on with that and did a pretty good job of it i thought at least anyway the bible says you need to grow to the point where you can appoint elders right Mm. well they wanted to appoint elders and so we began to talk about that and uh, uh, i had tried to be active in the church you know and so well you were deacon right before well, I had been a deacon in Grand Junction, yeah. but not in Montrose. Yep. Okay. Because, uh, in a sense, I was a deacon because I was trying to do the things that needed to be done, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what a deacon is. But as far as the office of being a deacon, yeah, <laughs> the title, if you will, uh, they were talking about appointing uh, uh, somebody to be an elder, and we needed to have a plurality of elders. And uh, so Dewey Boyd and Clayton Waller and myself were the two that they decided were most qualified. At that time, my my children were pretty young, and I felt like, in a sense, that that I was too young. Mm Mm-hmm. They said, well, in order to have a plurality of the elders, we need to have, you know, the choice. And so by necessity, 
at least according to the men's business meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and they had entered the, the preacher interviewed all of us and and uh, the men were willing to put our names before the congregation, you know, and uh, I felt so unqualified, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And I suppose every Christian would feel pretty unqualified to, to, you know, to hold that position. It's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> uh, some of the hard feelings that I had after I was appointed was... Uh, some of the men would say, well, we don't have to have men's business meeting anymore, you know, because we have elders. You know, we don't have to do anything anymore because we have elders. And I kept hearing that over and over again, you know. But just because a congregation appoints elders doesn't mean that they should give up doing, you know, all the things that they have been doing. So in your young congregation, I don't know whether you have elders over there yet or not. We do not. But that's an important message to get across, I believe, to the congregation, to the men. Well, you don't quit doing simply because you now have elders and you're going to put the responsibility. You know, elders, yes, are supposed to shepherd the flock. They're sub-shepherds under Christ, who is the chief shepherd. And so, but I believe if you're thinking about getting elders over there, that you need to make that message clear to the men. You know, you don't stop being, uh, doing the things you're doing simply because you've appointed elders, you know. Mm -hmm. Eldership is not an easy button to not do anything else, (laughs) right? You don't just throw three or four men under under the bus, so to speak. Yeah. Of course, if that's the reason you're appointing elders so you won't have to do anything, well... (laughs) That's the wrong reason, too. So, yeah, Now, we have to back up a little bit because I know that Aunt Tina and Uncle Gary are going to be very angry if we don't talk about them a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we skipped right over that. So we need some stories from their childhood and Brenda's, like a couple of those before we get into the eldership. Yeah. So um, uh, Tina, Geneva got... Pregnant again, of course, and uh, and Teeter was being born, and I remember uh, that she was born at the St. Mary's Hospital. Uh, Ola had came down and uh, was taking care of Brenda. I don't think Brenda had any harm, hard feelings over over Tita being born. She was really looking forward to mm-hmm. this uh, child that she was going to have how how old was she oh she was only about 18 months older than tina so uh so pretty young Mm -hmm. but yet she knew that her mother was expecting this child you know and so she's always been a a mom (laughs) yeah (laughs) yep uh but now when uh, gary was being born and tita then was uh, kind of left at home by her mother mm-hmm. and out there to have this little boy, which at that time we didn't know it was going to be a little boy. Tina felt abandoned, and so she <laughs> she pretty well ignored her mom for quite a long while after we brought Gary home. <laughs> Probably didn't like Gary very much for a little bit. <laughs> and, of course, there's another 
probably 18 months there. Yep. You know, all three of them were pretty close. And so uh, they've always been very close. And Tina finally did get to where she accepted her mom again. Yeah, <laughs> <Obviously>. that's good. <laughs> but I remember she was really felt abandoned by her mom because her mom went out to the hospital and left her at home and, oh, no. and then came back home with this little guy. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, funny. Any uh, funny stories of them growing up? Oh, funny stories of them growing up. Well, just regular stories, you know. They, uh, Brenda was, of course, the, the leader of the pack all the time, you know, and and she had to have them out in the backyard, and they made mud pies, you know. And uh, Brenda told him, well, go, told Gary particularly, just pretend like, you know. Well, he didn't know what pretend like was, so he actually ate the mud pies. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you wonder how I re- wh- why he's like he is, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, they had, They'd need to go to the bathroom, you know, and be bouncing around one foot and the other. And Brenda say, "Well, just wiggle more, and you won't have to go." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe that's a funny story, all right. But yeah, yeah it's a funny story. <laughs> I remember we had this house on Uray and uh, had a furnace down in the down basement, you know, and you could open the cabinet door and stand on top of the uh, uh, furnace. So with that play hide-and-go-seek, they'd hide there, you know. And <laughs> on top of the furnace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't know they were doing that, however, but uh, I found funny. out later. Yeah. And then <laughs> found out a lot of stuff later, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They didn't want you to ruin their fun. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they weren't where they could have been injured by a fan or anything. It was just the top, and there was a chimney, and yeah. Good place to hide, probably. The what? Good place to hide. Yeah, they thought so. Yeah. And then the couch was another one. They had a couch down there. You could raise it up, and there was a storage area underneath. They'd hide in there. Yeah. And uh, they'd get to playing games, and... Uh, like playing house, you know, Brenda would start crying for her babies, and I would think, man, they one of them's really injured down there. She was really sounded real. Yep. So I'd start down there, you know. Yep. <laughs> uh, yep. The, Catch Gary with his, you know, face full of mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. His diaper full of mud. <laughs> So, you stepped up into eldership. What was what was it that convicted you to take on that challenge? That's a that's a big challenge. Well, like I was saying a moment ago, you know, uh, they wanted to appoint me, and uh, they thought I was qualified, even though I didn't think I was qualified. You know, my children were still pretty young, and uh, of course, I was pretty young myself back then, and. I didn't know I was up to, and probably I was right. I was probably one of the one of the least qualified of the elders at that time. Clayton Waller was a little older than me, and uh, Dewey Boyd was a little younger than me. Mm-hmm. 
But we all tried our best to do whatever. I have some, well, disappointments. You know, I would go, Dewey and I, or Clayton and I, would go try to visit with somebody, and they would slam the door on our nose, you know, so to speak. And so that was really disheartening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were out trying to help somebody with their spiritual life, but they didn't want to be helped. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that'll be judged in the last judgment time, but still bugs me. Yep. So what could have I have said or didn't say? I don't know. I'll get to blubbered here in a minute. Uh, that's all right. Do you need to take a little break? <laughs> yeah, I need to blow my nose. Okay, let's do that. We took a little break uh, and had lunch as well. So we are now coming back several hours later, but for you, it's just an instant. Those listening to this. Yeah, yeah. And we are back with Papa talking about eldership is where we left off, and you were talking about some of the hardships of people that you just couldn't reach. And then off the podcast, we, we were discussing this over lunch, and you were bringing up some very good points about maturity. I get emotional when I talk about some of that. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, Jesus talked about the, the lost sheep. It weighs heavy on me, I did Hadn't realized it was quite that heavy until I began to verbalize it, you know. Yep. Anyway, uh, maturity is, you know, Christian maturity, especially for the elders, is so very important, you know, because uh, of that very thing, you know, the, the sheep that is straying away. And you want to bring them back, but you don't always have the ability to do that. And it's very, very disheartening. Mm. Yeah. So I think for every small congregation, and when we moved to Montrose, it was a small congregation, you know, and they had never had any elders. And and so we were the first elders uh, and I know you said that you felt like you were the least qualified but you still chose to serve you stepped up into that role well I tried to do like say the best that I could even though I didn't feel in my own self that I was all that qualified you know because there were probably a lot of questions if people had asked me, I would have been at a loss at the time to give a biblical answer. Uh, but did you, you wanted to serve though, correct? Oh, well, I, I wanted to serve because the congregation wanted me to serve. And so uh, sometimes we're thrust into a role that we're, well, it's like, a congregation where you don't have any preacher, you know, and the 
the members take turn preaching. They may not feel necessarily qualified to be, you know, preaching much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a learning process, and I think uh, it's just like in a family, you know, when your children are little, uh, yeah, they require a lot of your attention, and you train them, and as they begin to mature, then more is required of them, and uh, as they uh, get older, well, you know, they don't require the training anymore, you know. Uh, Paul wrote about that, you know, uh, about uh, the comparison of uh, a family, you know, especially in regard to discipline. And discipline's not always a uh, paddling, you know, uh, but it is a training. You know, we're disciplined by God's word. And he says there, uh, you know, what uh, son is there that the Lord doesn't discipline? And if you're without discipline, then you're illegitimate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so all of those things, you see, when I was younger, I didn't know much about that. I did know that uh, that we required uh, the Lord required us to to study and try to do what He asked us to do, uh, and so I had to grow up. And I think uh, every elder may feel similar. You know, they grow up into the responsibility of that job, just like Alec is growing up into being a a preacher. Now, he didn't go to Bear Valley, although his folks were going to Bear Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he probably learned some stuff just because of that, you know. But yeah. uh, it's just, I've always liked I'm, the... I'm proud of him. <laughs> yeah. I've always liked the mentality of the pass-fail, the sink or swim. Uh, yeah. Just kind of... <laughs> Jump in the deep end and yeah. and see what happens. And uh... <laughs> jump in the deep. Well, that's exactly a good good expression there. Jump yeah. in the deep end. Yeah. And sometimes being thrust into leadership roles, it's not always the best fit right away. I know yeah. that when I got pushed into song leading, we couldn't wait for someone else to take over. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, hey, that's right. We don't want that guy leading songs anymore. <laughs> but. You served as an elder for a couple decades. Yeah. Yep. So obviously you started to gain some. I learned a few things. I I probably matured some, uh, even though at 90 I don't feel like I'm terribly mature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, your mind is a, is a different thing than your body. You know, your body may be 90 years old, but your mind may be uh, 30. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's wishful thinking, maybe. But <laughs> uh, well, and you've had, you know, what, three pacemakers now? Yeah, this is my third one, and I'm towards the end of it, so they keep testing me pretty, you know, a little more regular than they had been. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, Someone who's had a long life, and you still feel like you're, you're young. Well, in your mind, yeah, you know, and I think my mother was the same way. She lived to be ninety six, 
but still, uh, she began to say, well, I don't know why I'm still here. You know, she couldn't see very well and she couldn't hear very well, but she was always at worship service, even though she couldn't hear much. And uh, she, she kept expressing that to me. And I said, well, Mom, you're, you're here to be a good example to me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So maybe that's the reason I'm here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I agree. So, got into the eldership, right? Beginning to serve. What are some of those those good stories from being an elder? Some incur- good things? Yeah, some good things. Well, uh, the maturity of some Christians, like my own grandson, you know. <laughs> Alec has matured quite a lot from... Those days. Yeah, uh, uh, I believe you used the word hellion. <laughs> the what? Hellion. That's it. That was hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Alec and I used to go pick up the gals, you know, Geneva and, and uh, his mom, uh, Brenda, would be going to ladies class, and we would be sitting out there in the car, and and Alec would be punching all my buttons, you know, and I kept telling him, you know, Alec, that's... that's uh, not a toy, you know. <laughs> well, one day he said that to me. He he punched. It was punching the radio, and he looked over at me and he says, "Up and on, this is not a toy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. I think so, I remember so he... <laughs> a story of him. Alec, this is this is actually a great turn of events, by the way. <laughs> I wouldn't ever have called him that. Yeah, is uh, he was getting in trouble in the vehicle and didn't want to be in there anymore. Oh, that was on the trip when we were going to uh, Denver, mm-hmm. and uh, he was tired of riding in that car. We were over in South Park, <laughs> and he said, Papa Don, stop the car and give me a spanking. <laughs> <laughs> I was done. <laughs> Anything to get out of the car. Uh, anything to get out of that car. Uh, uh, uh. That just shows that spankings don't always work for all the children. <laughs> and he said, I'm never, 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 ever going to take another trip. <laughs> you remember that part? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> How old are you? I don't even know. That was... Oh, my. He's pretty young. I've forgotten. Too too long ago, but uh, yeah. Well, so getting back on track, what are some of the besides the maturity of your own spiritual growth in eldership? Is there obviously you've helped some people, right? They well, weren't. I hope so. Yeah, I pray so. You know, uh, sometimes we do things and teach people, but we never see the result of it. You know, so you don't know people that have that you've associated with, and they've moved away, and you hope you had some influence on their thinking, if you've had them in class or whatever. Like especially some of the young folks that I've had in my Bible class when I was teaching Bible class. And all you can do is sow the seed, and God will provide the increase. Yeah, and. And, and so you just yeah. have to throw it out there and 
as much as possible. Just don't give up. Like Churchill says, don't ever, ever, ever give up. (laughs) I don't know what his exact words were. You may remember more of that, but I... Uh, something similar to that, anyway. Talking to the soldiers. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll fight in the beaches. We'll fight in the forests. We'll fight in the cities. We'll fight everywhere. We'll never give up. Yeah, right. Is that your message to current elders that might listen to this? I think, yes, don't ever give up. Keep on keeping on. You know, elders sometimes... Well, like myself, when I was first appointed to the eldership, I felt so, so inadequate. And one of the uh, messages that I wanted to give you guys was the fact that the congregation itself needs to be trained on how to work with their own eldership. You know, because I felt like that we, as elders, uh heard things that were going in the congregation after it was almost too late to do anything about it. You know, and so if you have somebody that's needing some counseling, they're reluctant to go to the elders, and how come? You know? Yeah, and you could say... I mean, we're the shepherds. Yeah. So the sheep ought to go to the shepherd for counseling rather than sheep. to one another yep. necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes it's kind of like gossip if you go to one another, you know. But they're troubled by something, well, go to the elders, you know. Uh, and that always weighed heavily on me too, you know, because they wouldn't they wouldn't share with us what was going on in their life. And so you felt like you're out here somewhere and they're over here somewhere. Like there was a disconnect between the eldership and the congregation? And the the membership, right. And nothing you could really do that seemed to change it. Did you try to do anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, maybe they're not not the right kind of teaching to the to the uh, congregation about their responsibility, always talking about the elders' responsibility. Well, how about the membership's responsibility, see? You know, I hadn't thought of that whole lot until I thought about it in after I'm no longer an elder. Yeah. <laughs> but that might have helped the situation as far as uh, the maturity of the congregation. Building up the relationship between the elders, and the members to where you're more of a family as opposed to someone who is sitting high above and unapproachable as right. opposed to I want to be a part of them and they're, they're part of my family. And how right. to right. bolster that dynamic uh, from the elders' perspective but also from the members' perspective as well. Yeah. And a great advice to congregations out there to bolster those relationships so that way if there is an issue – you, you can go, you can approach your elder because it's not yeah. just some old man <laughs> uh, that you don't know anything about, but it's, 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 well, part, it's part of the family. You kind of get to feel in that way, you know. Yep. Uh, I don't know whether this is a good example or not, but uh, there was a young lady who wanted to do something. She was very immature 
Christian, uh, you know, uh, in biblical knowledge, I thought. But she wanted to have a children's church. And I had always been kind of against having a children's church because I thought the children learn need to learn how during the worship service to behave. You know, they need the training to learn how to behave in the assembly, right? And so children's church was take, would take the children away and including her away from the worship service and have their little worship service. And so I never did like that concept. And so she sent somebody else. She didn't come herself. She came somebody else to ask me, you know, if she could do that. And I tried to tell her through this person. I didn't know who it was. But I tried to tell through this person uh, that, that I didn't think it was a good idea, and I thought that she needed to uh, have the teaching in the assembly herself. Well, you know, you hurt people's feelings, and but you don't ever know what's going on if they don't talk to you personally. So if you're not a family, and that's the point. Mm -hmm. You know, we are a family. Mm. Whether we're in Montrose, Delta, Olathe, you know, wherever, if we're Christians, we're part of the family. I like that song, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, the family. We have sang that some. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we have a lot. <laughs> yeah. But not a whole lot. Well, yeah, it's a, maybe it's a little hard to sing. I don't know. I, uh, but it rings true. Yeah. And your experiences in the eldership and the hardships that you've gone through, you know, makes that point more prevalent of the need for us to actually behave as a family. Right. Uh how would you uh, give advice to us? <laughs> we are uh, substantially younger <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, uh, and wanting to take this role. We were talking about it off, uh, off the mics earlier on this idea of a lifetime goal, uh, wanting to be in this eldership uh, deacon, this type of uh, church leadership role. What would be your advice to us, uh, to our children, and uh, to want to go through with this, even though it can be very difficult. And when you're thinking of people's souls, uh, it can become very emotional and very uh, hard, but should we give up? Uh, or what is, the, what is the advice? How should we uh, take the mantle, so to speak? I think we need to to school somebody, well, Jackson, for instance, uh, he has such a nice nature about him, uh, and we ought to fan that little flame, you know, <laughs> when he does uh, become obedient after he reaches that age, you know. Uh, I think the training should begin by the parents and all, if you have elders, by the elders and by the Bible school teachers, you know, to encourage the young men to desire to be an elder. 
if you're thrust into that, but you have no real desire to, to be a shepherd, you're not going to be a very good shepherd. But if you're schooled in that as you begin to mature as an individual and you become obedient, and then you have somebody encourage you to want to be a leader or to at least be a Bible school teacher maybe. You know, an elder isn't everything. He's only part of the family. Mm-hmm. Whether they're a Bible school teacher or a preacher, or a deacon, or an elder. You know, all of those positions are there. Or just a member. Yeah, a member. They all have a specific role to play. That's right. They all have a specific role. and But without training the young sons and daughters, by the way, to want to step up and, and do that. Uh, Brenda was always a very good student and a very good uh, Bible school teacher for the young uh, children, you know. Mm -hmm. And she enjoyed that, and she taught uh, ladies' classes. And uh, I'm very pleased with with her, you know. uh, Probably a lot more uh, equipped for that than I ever was. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying... To us, that the it's a mentorship type program where elders, deacons are and members that are all involved in each other's lives to where an example is set young. Yeah, we need to ad- mature our young members. You know, uh, like Alec and like uh, right now his name escapes me. Uh, um. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? <laughs> My mind don't work sometimes. <laughs> That's all right. It's only 30 years old, right? Yeah, yeah, 30 years old. That's all it is. <laughs> His name will come to me. That's all right. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can we can leave him nameless for now, but but as a uh as a uh uh desire to do something, we need to discourage, not to discourage them. Uh, at one time, you know, I was a deacon at the time, I think, when uh, Deward Lee was, uh, oh no, as Orrin Emerson. Yeah, he was an old school teacher, but he was preaching and for us down at Grand Junction. And uh, I had some desire maybe to follow in his footsteps and be a preacher, you know. And so... One day I was talking to him, and he said, well, if you can't do anything else, preach. And I took that wrong at the time. I did. I misunderstood what he was saying. You know, I thought he was saying, well, if you're not smart enough to do anything else, then preach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's not where he was really coming from, but he didn't make that plain, see, so... Sometimes we have to watch what we say to our young people. Well, how, how is he going to take that? Well, I took it wrong, and so I didn't go ahead. I did try to go to ACC, and I thought maybe I might become a preacher. But uh, Well, you still do preach even to this 
day. Right. right. Yeah. Even at 90 years young. Well, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Salmon was talking to me the other day and wanted to know if I had a sermon in my boot, and I might have to have it towards the end of this month or at least in December. And I said, well, I always try to have one <laughs> just in case, you know. And so, yes, I carry a couple in my Bible uh, most of the time. So, Always prepared. <laughs> well, you know, you never know uh, in life what's going to happen. Uh, the preacher that maybe is coming up from Grand Junction, like uh, uh, John uh, uh, Cooper. Mm-hmm. You met him, I think. Yes, yep. Uh, he preached last Sunday, in fact. But if he weren't able to come, but yet he was supposed to come, but something might have happened, you know, uh, you need somebody to be able to do. An elder should have something like that and ready to step in. and. Yeah, any role, right? Any yeah, leadership right. role. Yeah. Well, even, even if you... Uh, need to step into a Bible class, uh, the, the teacher of that class, maybe a teenage class or an adult class, you know, uh, maybe wasn't able to come, got yeah. sick and died on you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it, all, all those things can happen. So, yep. Well, that's something that I took into the uh, uh, business world. you know, when I uh, manage restaurants, I, would be in the management position in the restaurant, but, you know, nothing's beneath you. If a toilet needs to be clean, I'm cleaning a toilet. If a mop needs to be, or a spill needs to be mopped up, uh, you're out there or you're on the line in the in the kitchen cooking. That's I mean, right. whatever it is that needs to be done, you could take that role into the church as the elder. Uh, we're not managers as like in a business sense. That's but right. We are <laughs> filling roles that need to be filled as needed. Uh, and as as the elder, uh, if there's a class that needs to be taught, uh, it's going to be the best class ever taught because it's the elder. <laughs> if there's a sermon, well, it's going to be the best the sermon. Best, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the mindset uh, that, that you have. Uh, and whether or not you're the best uh, speaker or the best song leader or whatever it is, that's that's not the point. It's you're there ready to serve in any capacity that needs to be yeah. filled. And I want to back up on part of your story as far as being, you know, discouraged from preaching. And I want to kind of dig into that a little bit as far as the communication up and down in the church, because I've noticed that through my short time on this earth, yeah. is, especially in the church, is that communication can be taken wrong both ways, right? You bet. Yeah. You bet. I don't think uh, uh, he really n- ever knew that. Yeah, and if you would have, if you would have asked him, do you think he would have clarified? Probably. Yeah. Probably. And so maybe that's a point or something we can take from this is that if you're in your congregation and you feel like someone said something discouraging to you, maybe talk to that individual. Maybe bring an elder in, have a conversation. Not just let it fester or ruin your... You know, I think of that expression, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. (laughs) You know, sometimes we need to 
pay attention to what we say and think about, well, how's the person going to take that? Uh, I said something a while back just off the top of my head, which I've regretted ever since I said it. Uh, uh, Wendell's daughter uh, had been down in, uh, in uh, Australia, and she came home and uh, said something to me. And I didn't recognize her, and so I said, well, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've known her practically her whole life. <laughs> and so we need to pay attention. You know, I thought about that afterward. Why didn't I think about that before? You know, don't say something just off the top of your head that way and I, I still don't know how she might have taken that because she hadn't spoke to me since. <laughs> <laughs> and it may be the reason because, you know, I said that in a wrong way. Well, and I think that you you do have obviously a good point with, you know, controlling your tongue and making sure that you're being tactful in your, your speech. But there's also responsibility on the receiver's side of it that if they are offended – that they have the ability to be in that family-type yeah. organization to where if my brothers offend me, I'm going to let them know. Yeah. Like Tyler and Cameron, if they offend me, they will know. <laughs> right? I'm not going to just let that hide inside myself. <laughs> so it's, yeah. a, it's a communication all around because even though you're an elder, we're an elder, you're not going to be perfect. No, I never was perfect, I'll let you know. But there are a lot of things involved in the family. You know, uh, Alec talked about that a moment ago. You know, we're all part of God's family in, uh, in our various parts. As a small child, as you come up, you kind of learn your spot in that family unit. You know, and older brothers usually uh, are, what, teachers to the younger brothers. Of course, you didn't have a younger brother, but you had a younger sister. Yeah. (laughs) Dropped the ball on that one. No. (laughs) (laughs) And she turned out all right. Just fine. Yeah. Did she turn out all right in spite of you or because of you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well... That's the point, you know, uh, and if she were offended by it, I don't know that. Uh, but if she was, I hope she would, you know, uh, make that known to me. So anyway, that's yeah, just a, something that's plagued my mind because of my tongue. You know, the tongue. What did James say about the tongue? No man can tame yeah, it. Untamable. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> untamable. Yeah, well, there's a good example of it. Out of the abundance of a heart, the, the mouth speaketh. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the the being an elder is uh, an awesome, really, responsibility. And I think we lead more by example than we do by word. Uh, at least in my experience, 
because very few people actually come to you. You wish they would. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to some of them and they slam the door on your nose and curse you out even sometimes, right. oh, it's like your own earthly brother doing that to you. Sad. But I also believe that that's why, um, you know, the, the list of, of qualities or qualifications, whatever you want to call them there in the scripture of elders, it it's more of the character of the man, uh, of who the man is. Uh, and it's, I, I believe, mainly because God knows how we work and you can guide more people by your example uh, than you ever will with your words. Uh, and you may not be the greatest speaker of all time. I mean, Apollos and, uh, and Paul uh, diametrically opposed to each other uh, in speaking fashion. Apollos, a great speaker. Paul, blunt and to the point. Uh, and, and yet, it's the character of the individual that is the guiding force. And I believe that's why in Scripture, these qualifications or these qualities, what I like to call them, of the man is there for that guidance and it and an example moreover than the words that they use or don't use or the actions that they take it's just who yeah. are you as an individual and guiding spiritually uh the flock in that way as an example as a leader yeah i i think you're right and we've been blessed i've been blessed i know for sure having you as a grandfather, uh, as an elder in the church, as someone to look up to, to hopefully mold my life after, uh, and have that lifelong goal of, I want to be a spiritual leader like he was, uh, because he was a, a great spiritual leader in my life. And I want that to be something that my children can look up to and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all of these uh, uh, family and in our, our blood-related family, but also in the in the church family as well, having that spiritual guidance that's been a, uh, a blessing for sure yeah. uh, in our lives. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a blessing for me, I think, to have family members that are faithful. Well, it's because of your I mean, example. I mean, blood family. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That is faithful. It's, that's, it's due, that's, to, due to your hard work. Because well, it wasn't easy. Well, maybe I didn't realize it at the time yeah. that this is going on as you were younger, you know. But uh, it's a blessing to know. I know Ethan tells me stuff like that all the time, and uh, I didn't know I was influencing him at all. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's good to have yep. family, earthly family as well as uh, church family, you know, because I've been close to a lot of them Yep, that weren't blood relative, but uh, they were my brothers and sisters yep. in Christ. Yep. Family. Family. Yeah. I know a lot of them have influenced me. <laughs> A lot of the younger ones, as well as the older ones. Yeah. Oh, I, Byron, my 
other grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He uh he was quite a fella. I really I really learned a lot from him. Well, it, you've uh, imparted a lot of wisdom on us today. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very important that we as just members, and I say just members, but the members are the body. We need to make sure they take equal responsibility and I wish he was here for you to interview him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But at least you all know about him, and yep. that, that's good. And he did influence you. Oh, man. Yes, he did. Anything else? Any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lord, come quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah. You know, I may not be long for this life since I'm already 90. Of course, my mother lived to be 96, so maybe I'm wearing her jeans rather than Dad's. He died when he was about 61, I think. Uh, you know, so quite a long while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was an elder in the church and was a great influence on me because of him trying to live right. And yeah, he made mistakes, and so have I. Which the Bible says is not in man to direct his own steps, you know. Well, I'm thankful for the Lord that we have that book that we can look into. And, of course, people that say you can't know the truth, you can't really know the real truth, but the Bible says you can. We just need to be people of the Word. You know, to look into the word. What does it say? Not what we want it to say, but what does it say? And live by that. As far as having a really profound last word, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but focus on the truth uh, and let that be the guiding force in our lives. I mean, that's what I... That's Amen. what I've learned from you growing up as your grandson, and that's what I'm hopefully instilling in my children. And as we do this podcast and as we are trying to pass these stories on and this advice on to uh, our generation and the next generation, uh, I believe that's key. Focus on the truth. What does the Word of God say? And let everything else just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> do what it may, but as long as we're focusing on the truth, uh, we've we've got a good yeah. a good foundation. I believe the uh, the verse you're referring to is Proverbs sixteen nine. The man plans his way in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's kind of what you're telling us to do: is let the Lord direct you. That's right. Right. In truth. In truth. In truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Papa, well, I hope all of this information has been good and might influence whoever hears it. That even though we might have started out uh, not knowing anything, that don't mean we have to stay there. You know, mankind teaches that you can't really know the truth, that there's no such thing as absolute truth well 
I think that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah. And that's some that's profound last words. <laughs> Papa, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you for interviewing me. Yeah. And I, uh, it's kind of like a, uh, a trip down memory lane in a sense. Yeah. 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 Even though there's a lot of things that are there that are, that I've forgotten. You know, at my age, I'm sure there's (laughs) something at least. (laughs) No, you've given us a lot of good sound advice today. Yeah. We really thank you for taking your time to to talk to us. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we love you. Well, thank you for your effort. I don't know how you're going to use all this stuff, but uh, <laughs> hopefully for God's glory. Yep, that's the whole purpose. <laughs> Just history, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but whatever, you have my permission to, if it helps in some fashion. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.